0: Hi, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, our guest is Daniel Franzese, and we talk about lots of different things, not just mean girls. You think it's going to be all about mean girls? You're wrong, okay? Because we talk about conversion therapy. We talk about the film Party Monster at great length, and we talk about. What it's like to be an advocate and an activist in the queer community. Today on Hijinx, get ready to hunker down and sink your teeth into some new Hijinx. Forever! <laughs> Dog. everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi, Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by actor, comedian, and activist, as well as musical writer. It is Daniel Franzese. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Jinx. How are you doing today? I'm good.
1: I feel I'm so happy to be here.
0: I'm happy you're here. Um, I should uh uh I, I wanna start the the episode uh talking about <laughs> the first time we met, IRL in person. I was living in San Francisco and one of my housemates is a photographer and you came to do a, a photo shoot with my housemate Alec. Yeah, and then what did we end up doing that day? Didn't we do something?
1: (laughs) We, I did, I did, I actually it was like a full service shop at commune. (laughs) Like I did a photo shoot with Alec, and then I did like a video game Twitch thing. Oh,
0: you did um, eight hit gaming with Nick Sahoya. (laughs) Yes,
1: and then you and I we were watching something on TV, which I can't really remember what it was, but we uh, I don't either. We were like judging it.
0: For, like a thing? <laughs> I don't know, it was just, just something that was, a, was, it was that just something just that was on activity. TV, no, it wasn't a thing, we weren't
1: being filmed. <laughs> we were kikiing
0: on the couch. We did I know we took a selfie that day. That was that was our contribution. <laughs> so,
1: you, we know watched,
0: I, you know what you know we did do. What
1: I do remember that we did do is a, is a big merch share. Like you you were so gracious and you gave me like I have I my, oh, my, that's my bathroom right. is equipped with Jinx Monsoon towels right now as we speak. <laughs>
0: And um, for any of our listeners who um, are people like me, who remember people by their character names, not their um, human names, (laughs) (laughs) of course, everyone will recognize Daniel Franzese um, as Damien from Mean Girls. And I want to start right away by asking, what does it feel like to you to be... A meme and be a meme in so many ways and have so many of your lines from the movie quoted and you're just um you're a a, a meme celebrity. yeah I, <laughs> I guess i am i you know i
1: i think at first it was really weird and uncomfortable because i thought that i was going to be like jj from good times i was like i don't want to just like because i remember <laughs> he had this whole thing where he was like dynamite ruined my life like he was just like (laughs) i can't get away from it he like tried to like copyright it for himself and sue and everything and that just stuck with me in my head as a pop culture like trivia freak and i was Mm -hmm. like oh man i'm gonna be this character forever and only this character and there were so many inner turmoil things about me being closeted at the time that i played that character even Mm -hmm. and just all these different things but as the years went on especially on the 10th anniversary i tell the story all the time so i apologize to your um really adept queer audience that might know <laughs> re- might have heard this a thousand times but um i got a letter when i uh, around the 10th anniversary from someone that said i don't know if you're gay or not and it doesn't matter and i was like it totally matters i need to come out it's time <laughs> but then it, but then but then he said when i was in eighth grade um i was beat up for being chubby and tortured for being a sissy and then your movie came out and then in ninth grade on the first day of my freshman year the popular senior girls walked up to me and said, you're like Damien come sit with us. (laughs) And he was like, thank you so much for making me like have a popular high school career. When I know that it wouldn't have been that way without you and being something in media that I could look to. And I think as the years went on, I really kind of leaned into it because it really does mean a lot for people when it comes to representation. I Mm -hmm. felt the way that I felt about myself because I didn't have that representation. So that part of it's joyous, but as well as I'm a pop culture freak. So I mean, except for like having like a I don't have a Funko pop or like a action figure yet. I've had everything else. I've been on a cell phone cover, a <laughs> luggage tag, like you name it, and my face is everywhere with with this movie and it has been memed so many times. And I just think it's really cool. And um yeah. I embrace it.
0: Well, congratulations. I'm I, I'm I'm glad that you've been on such a spiritual journey with um a character that shouts, you go Glen Coco. I'll tell you, the best part about it. The best part
1: about it is, like, no matter what, all my exes have to see me again. Like, if you went on, like, one date with me, like, in an office email, your boss is going to quote me at some point. Like, get used to it. Like, I haunt everyone while I'm still on the earth.
0: That's that's a really good point. Um, and I think you make a really good point um, to representation and the effect that characters like that can have for people who relate to them. And I think sometimes, you know, we're kind of conditioned to believe that the only way to be like effective or the best way to be effective and like cause positive change is, you know, to be, um, you know, to be reading uh, Maya Angelou poetry right. <laughs> like in a black box theater and, um, but I think there's a lot of work that gets done through comedy and just joyous performances and just, you know, creating characters that people can relate to, whether they have like a big tumultuous coming out story or if they're just, you know, a queer chubby guy in in high school saying all the best lines in a movie, you know,
1: <laughs> they were doing like a, this queer art series. Um, of showing films in New York City and they were and they were talking and Leah Delaria was talking about Mrs. Danvers and um, Rebecca and-, mm-hmm. and Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca and how Mrs. Danvers was like such a uh, lesbian icon for her and and they said what movie would you do like what was like the most impactful thing that you saw that made you feel comfortable at all being gay when you were young and I really had to think about it like yeah and it was so simple but in this and Bancroft um, Dom DeLuise movie called Fatso which my family reveres and loves it's like an Italian movie about uh, how food relates to pain right mm-hmm. and um, in the very opening sequence they're in the West Village and Dom DeLuise is walking down the street and two gay men are holding hands and he looks at them and he turns around like hmm, like sweet love there was no judgment it was, an, it was like background performances but it impacted me because I'm like this is a family that my movie this is a movie that my family like approves across the board and there's a pleasant example of just two queer people just holding hands. And it's so simple. So yeah. I, it's not lost on me how impactful the big things are, you know, when we yeah. make strides or when I appear somewhere or do something. So I, I know that. And um, I think it's so cool. The 12-year-old to me is freaking out. I, when I was 15, I used to write letters to celebrities. <laughs> like, and and if, you did, if I did not know or if anyone did not know I was gay, you would know I was gay by my list of autographs that I had like, procured. <laughs> I got um, B. Arthur and congratulations, Bette Midler and Whoopi Goldberg and Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> and then because I was watching Mary Tyler Moore and Nick Knight, I got Ed Asner. <laughs> and and um, uh, it was, I was just getting like the gayest autographs like ever. But it was interesting because I, I found this uh, in, my, in, my, in my I started that because in my, I think, third grade class. Uh, I missed one day of school and I I came to school the next day and they're like, so everyone, we all, yes, how'd you like yesterday? We all wrote letters to celebrities. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you know? (laughs) And I kind of, I was like, they'll never write back and then as they started writing back to the school and like randomly throughout the year, kids were getting letters back from like Sylvester Stallone and stuff. I was so jealous. Like, I felt like some (laughs) of the kids who were getting the autographs back didn't even care as much as maybe I would have cared. Oh, I also got Carol Burnett, which come on. Okay. I know, right? Yeah, like gay and awesome. But, um, <laughs> but I, became, I I asked the teacher, I said, where did you get these addresses from? And there was a book by, uh, called, uh, by Michael Levine called The Address Book. And it basically had every publicist's address in it that you needed and who they repped. And some, I think, may, might have even been people's home addresses. Oh, but wow. I, but I, I, I found an old copy of this book. You know when you go to the library and they have that table of old books that they're like selling for like a dollar? I don't know if you know, yeah. but,
0: like, they're, like, I'm getting I'm trying to remember them. the last time I went to a library, which, it's is, been a while, which is sad maybe. and shocking. But, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, they had the book there, and I couldn't believe it. It was almost like kismet. But it was an, a, a dated version of the book. Like, it was, oh. like, probably, like, 10 years old. So I wrote to all these celebrities that were already dead, and I didn't know. Oh, no. <laughs> and I started getting letters back that just said deceased. And that's, like, how I found <laughs> out that, like, some people died in Hollywood that I didn't even know.
0: Oh my god, that's shock! That's like that would be a shock to my system. I don't know if it's like um, really.
1: A f- I basically, basically, I, 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 uh, my dad was a mailman, so he always had like m- so many stamps and envelopes and stuff in the house. So I just would like every day. I think I'd write like three letters. I just was going through the whole book <laughs> and seeing who would like write me back. So I did get a couple so, of dead people.
0: This was a this was an early example of like you know when when fans. Um, uh write a comment on one of your posts and say please check your DMs. <laughs> Perhaps yeah. Like I don't
1: it's very rare that I get actual uh I get fan art, but that I get unless it's like a meet and greet or something that I would get actual fan mail in the mail anymore. I think it's almost like a dead practice like
0: Yeah, well I mean paper anything is dying these days. Print media, writing letters <laughs> I randomly though
1: have gotten some like really like weird requests in my actual mail like how do people get your address like i don't even know like but i guess i mean
0: i to, wouldn't know. put anything past anyone these days i mean I, I, like there's so many things that shock me when i'm like how did how did this happen and then it turns out that like i just like posted about it at some point and forgot <laughs> like... it's like some bank teller like with like, a photograph. <laughs> <Yeah>. <collection. laughs> Well, I've got to say and I told you this um the day you came over to my place in San Francisco um uh but well before there were your iconic lines in um Mean Girls I had your voice constantly playing in my head. You know how sometimes you get spoken lines stuck in your head and I guess the kids <laughs> yeah. are saying like plays on your repeat r- plays on repeat in your head rent free or whatever. Um <laughs> I remember um, in the film Party Monster, which was an extremely formative film for me at the time that I was starting drag. And in Portland at the time, like all the young club club babies, we had an all ages queer dance club and all the performers there were shaping everything after Party Monster because that was that movie was so huge amongst the Portland drag and club scene. Of the the youth uh <laughs> you know, like eighteen years ago. And um I told you before there was Glen Coco or I want my pink shirt back, for me it was the New York City Club game! <laughs> Manhattan's only Club game. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um so and but it was funny because I didn't um you know, I had watched mean girls whenever it came out and then at some point rewatched party monster and that's when my brain made the connection i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> and then yeah, i was like even like randy so daniel fenton... was not high school age when, <laughs> <laughs> when he filmed mean girls <laughs> even randy
1: and fenton who uh the uh heads of world of wonder who directed mm-hmm. that movie were like um yeah, this is gonna be a trivia moment for you. <laughs> they're, like, <laughs> they're like I love that just relax. Like, you know, because I was so young and eager and so I mean I fought for that to be in that movie. Fought to be in that
0: movie. Yeah, I think I remember w- weren't you playing uh you also played. The, the rat, rat at the
1: end that describes the <laughs> river, yeah.
0: <laughs> so
1: wait, the story of that movie is bizarre. So like when I um Basically, what Michael and had done for a lot of people, the good that he had done um, for a lot of people, was they would, like, pluck people from all over the country. Like, they would go to your club at Portland or whatever, and then they would find, like, the weirdest weirdo, the one that wasn't winning the prize or the club kid of the night, the one that no one was talking to. And they would say, come to New York City with us. We'll give you, like, a name and an identity. We'll give you an apartment, and we'll pay you, like, $100 a night to dress up. And that's what mm-hmm. these kids did. And they were making like 700 to like $2,000 a night just to dress up and show up. Yeah. And I mean, what a dream, right? But he, he picked like these nerds from obscurity and turned them into stars, like international stars. They were like trading cards in Japan. So that's kind of <laughs> what Larry Clark did to me when I did the movie Bully. Like, I was a, a musical theater nerd. My plan was like, go to Broadway and then be good mm-hmm. enough that one day someone will ask you to guest star in a TV show. <laughs> like, yeah. it was... It, <laughs> It wasn't like the, the oh. Patty lapone route, yes, <laughs> right, <I'm> familiar. <laughs> I was tra- I was thinking the Patty. I was on the Patty LePone track, and I just didn't. <laughs> I didn't think of myself as like a big queer Italian, like per- like I didn't really know where I fit as far as like Hollywood movie stars or
0: mm-hmm.
1: iconic, you know, pop meme celebrities. Like I didn't know that that was even like an option for me, you know, or yeah. like that kind of. It wasn't like a goal to get there, you know. My goal was just to like sing and dance my whole life and make money doing it. So. It's weird when I got bully, which was my first movie. That was such an it kid movie to get. Like it had everybody at the time, you know, um, th- that was like really hot on Hollywood's lips. And I get this movie. That's a whole nother story. But I get, <laughs> I get this movie. And then um, when I get to New York, I'm I'm received in New York City with open arms by like the coolest people in New York, mm-hmm. like all the actual club kids now, like Kenny, Kenny, and. Uh, who was uh, running the doors. You know, they all knew who I was because they all were hip to Larry Clark and his work from kids. Yeah. So I felt very attached to Party Monster because I knew Kenny Kenny. I knew Sushi. I knew uh, Desi Monster. I knew um, Walt. I I knew all these people um, from Nightlife. And I had only been there like a year, and I felt like they were my friends. And all of them at some point, because there was no book or movie yet, were telling me the story about Michael Alec and what had happened. And so mm-hmm. I knew so much history. And then they announced they're making the movie and they put Macaulay Culkin on the cover of New York Magazine dressed as Michael as a club kid. And they were like, we're going to make this movie. And I'm like, I have to be in this movie. Like, I have to. And. As people were casting it, any, anyone who was casting it ended up in page six. It was like, Chloe, years, boom, page six. It was like, Natasha Leong, page six. So I was like, damn, I've got to get in this movie. I know this is the perfect comp, like compliment and where I want to go, and I know the characters, and I, I just want to be a part of it. So I hounded my, eight, my uh, managers at the time. And to the point where they were like, they called up the casting director, Susan Shopmaker, and they were like, listen... Um, he won't take no for an answer from us. So can you just see him and tell him no? <laughs> like, and so I'm, I'm waiting. I have this meeting and I don't know what I'm, what I'm doing. And I'm waiting like an hour outside the office with a coffee because I was so eager in those days. Like, and mm-hmm. then a pigeon shit all over. Oh, me. No. Five minutes before I have to go in. Oh, my god! So I tried to clean it up as much as I can. I got a bottled water and I did what I could, you know. And then I went in and I did. I, I spoke to her. There wasn't a, really an audition. And she was like, look there's not a lot. She's like, she talked to me. I explained why I wanted to be a part of the project. I was so passionate. And she's like, there really isn't a part for you. Like everything's really cast already. She's like, there's some minor things, but like two lines here. I was like, I don't care. And she was like, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the script, take it home. And if there's something in it that you think you could do, come back and let me know and I'll read you for it and I'll put you up for it. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And she goes, what's that on your shoulder? And I was like, pigeon shit (laughs) she was like i love you (laughs) like she just loved me like i was like and then um so i I read it my mom read it and i I talked to my mom (laughs) i talked to my mom about it and she was like well you could play the brother but you're not really puerto rican she was like but how about she was like what if you played the rat in the costume and the other one because you could play two and i was like what a great idea Mm -hmm. so when i finally went in i didn't know i thought i was coming in for like a callback or a reading or something but i was going right into randy and fenton Mm -hmm. and uh and who directed the movie and uh they were like we kind of want you to play this one character and they were talking about the Manhattan's only club kids which I didn't even like consider because it was like two lines and Uh but I was like well I kind of wanted to play the rat and they were like well that's just somebody in a costume we thought that would be like a PA or something I was like no they're like how do you see the rat I'm like well he's in every scene like you say there's a rat going across the room like I see him kind of like what would a New York City rat sound like or see or like be able to hear like and they were like well why don't you do both and I took out my cell phone and I went, Mom, it went really great. Like, just pretend it was And I ended up doing both parts, which is, like, kind of crazy. And later on, if you really listen, now that you know me, mm-hmm. if anyone wants some real trivia trivia, the <laughs> cop who's picking up Manson and putting – like, when they're doing the outlaw party inside the back of the truck, yeah. um, if you hear him, he goes, let's go, let's go. I did that in my natural voice. It was like a voiceover, but I wanted everyone to know that I was in the movie again, like, another part. <laughs> So if you hear me, I just tried to sound as Danny as possible. And I'm like, let's go. Get up. Like, I just try to sound like my (laughs) voice.
0: I know the exact part you're talking about. Um, It is kind of funny. You know, I'm thinking it's running through my head right now. So this movie was huge for me. And I feel like I always said, like, with the other performers that I worked with at this all ages nightclub and we were all emulating this movie. I was always kind of thinking like, you know, the way everyone romanticized the club kids and everything. I was like, just making sure everyone watched the whole movie, right? Yeah, like it's we a, didn't I just drug out who murder
1: someone. You we yeah. the other here.
0: <laughs> so it's kind of like it's so interesting um to be talking about it now at the current point where we're at with consciousness and mindfulness and and you know, so yeah. in the, on the one hand it's like I mean what a what a figure to make a movie out of, Michael Alec. But then when the movie kind of... I remember there was, like, some big upsets when Michael Alec was released from jail and kind of tried to revitalize, like, kind of tried to pick up his career where he left off. And a lot of people were like, hey... Not into it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when we
1: opened up, when they opened up the World of Wonder storefront gallery, they did like a gallery, and I was I curated some shows there. And I remember they were doing one show. I didn't curate it, but I was there, and they had some of Michael Alex's paintings in the show. Mm-hmm. And the performer at the show was Jackie B. And mm-hmm. right before she's about to perform, she's like, "This guy's a fucking murderer." She's like, "Anyone who supports him, it was so uncomfortable." She went nuts. People had very visceral reactions to yeah that movie to uh it, it almost came across as a gay buddy comedy in a lot of ways instead of it, you know, but it was like a true, a true crime. Um,
0: yeah.
1: but you can't take away like, and this is a, this is something that was like detrimental to the club kid scene. Like when mm-hmm. Michael was uh, taken away from all of that and it all was, the story was broke and all of that other stuff, all of those kids, all of those people, all those artists that he had picked from all around the world were all of a sudden left there, and they were the enemy. Yeah, the the real story is what happened to all the other club kids because they're all these talented, gifted, creatives who their leader became like this pariah in New York, and everyone was like, "Get away from them! They're all drug addicts. They're all mur-. They became like yeah. like something. You know, they were all like, "Oh, how fun and whimsical on the Donahue show or whatever." But then yeah. when that murder happened, it was like they became the enemy, and they all ha- they all ended up doing different things. It's actually kind of amazing when you see where they've all went, like, Walt Paper became Walt Cassidy and is, like, an amazing curator. Now he makes jewelry. And, mm-hmm. you know, Desi Monster had ha- uh, uh, ended up having jewelry and, like, uh, Bergdoffs And, you know, um, Artie ended up uh, being one of the people who won Emmys for doing all the clothes and sex in the city.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: I mean, they just went on to do such great things, you know? Um Jenny Talia runs the girls, the boys and girls club over there in the Lower East Side for years. Like it's just, it's just kind of
0: amazing <laughs> to see like where they all went and okay. did. Yes, um, that is amazing. But the sentence Jenny Talia runs the club. <laughs> I know. Boys I, know. And girls club. I don't even know everybody's real names. I but like yeah, like
1: you know, um, it is that same thing. Like knowing people by their persona. Like, um, yeah, but they were really good to me. I have to say, and. It was that same attitude of, like, you know, if you have a hunchback, just throw a little glitter on it, honey. They didn't care if I was chubby. They didn't care if I was cloud. They didn't care who I was. They were like, you're cool. Come. And they just, like, basically treated me great. That was my social scene when I got to New York.
0: And... Let's face it, Macaulay Culkin is uh, dream boat a dreamboat sex, and a sex icon in that film, and was, so is so is um, Seth Green. Um, to, <laughs> to,
1: Seth Green is probably one of the best extent. people I've ever worked with to this day. He like,
0: seems like such a sweetheart, right? He's
1: so kind. <laughs> he was in a full Gautier uh, like Harlequin print, like gimp suit, like the sea like yeah, yeah, monkey, yeah. like in that one scene. And everybody else, they were like, when they when they did, when I was there for their coverage and. Like, I didn't care. Sometimes I hate when actors leave for courage, but, uh, coverage, but I had one line. Like, I was like, five minutes, mm-hmm. you know? So they were like, everyone, you could break and get at your costumes. And they were like, you don't mind? I'm like, I don't. And everybody left. And Seth was like, no, I'm going to stay. And he was in the mm-hmm. most uncomfortable costume. And he sat in everyone's seat and did their lines in their character. <laughs> like, while I just had, like, my few <laughs> lines. Like, he was just a, such a gentleman. So chill and cool.
0: And what a transformative actor in that film um, I mean, Macaulay Culkin as well, but I feel like, you know, from the parts that Seth Green had played before this to playing James St. James, it's just a really great example of transformative acting. And I remember it rocked my freaking world because, like, at the age I was, like 14 or 15 watching that film, I had really only seen Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone and then... The Good Son, which who remembers that? That you was remember so great. Movie? When, yeah, when he
1: throws the dummy over the overpass <laughs> and makes it like uh, like a 15-car collision. That was crazy.
0: So it was like, okay, so Macaulay Culkin played that little rascal in Home Alone. Then he played a sociopathic child in The Good Son. And now, years later, here he is, totally sexy, playing. This, oh, you're like, forgetting
1: when he died of, of bees in My Girl. Like, that, made, that was so good.
0: I... I I know that I saw that scene as a kid, but I don't think I ever sat down and watched the film. That My is a Girl, sweet but, movie. It's a good, but yeah. Movie. And then nowadays, Macaulay Culkin hosts like a board game talk show. <laughs> I'm not I fully. I know, teacher. and then he had like uh,
1: the, the Pizza Underground, where he was like <laughs> change. He was just had a band that changed like every like every other word to pizza, and they were I singing like. like-
0: it feels like he's turning into some kind of Willy Wonka figure in our. In he our was always world. that way. <laughs> he was always that way.
1: Like, um, Rachel Minor, who plays my cousin in Bully, my first movie, was mm-hmm. married to Macaulay, which oh, was yeah? so weird. Yeah, they were married when they were like 17, and then they got divorced. then oh, I remember and then we that, did that story, movie. yeah. We did that movie, and then my next movie's with him. I felt so uncomfortable. Actually, I didn't bring <laughs> up Rachel the whole time, which I probably should have just got out of the way and said, hey, I just did a movie with Rachel. Like, but I got so nervous about it that it was like always an elephant in the room for me. He probably didn't realize it, but I was always like, you know, didn't want to bring it up. But Rachel had told me that they would do stuff. He has so much money, you know, obviously. But they would do stuff like pay a friend's rent for Christmas or oh. – or like take a hundred dollars and fold it up and stick it inside the change of a of a, um, a payphone and then sit at a bench and wait for someone to find it and like just did stuff with their money like that you know th- he was a kid with money she said I one can't Christmas wait to
0: be an eccentric billionaire this just one's good you're gonna like this one around the town. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he said they, she said one Christmas he bought every single Christmas toy that made noise and they set them all off in the apartment at the same time like <laughs> I mean that just sounds like big
0: yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> It does. Here's one of my, uh, here's an embarrassing fun fact about me. Well, you know, Instagram is a wonderful tool for celebrities of all levels of celebrity to connect with one another. (laughs) (laughs) Where is this going? I can't tell you how many times I've just like, I, I wonder if this person who I'm a fan of, I wonder if they've possibly seen Drag Race and would read a message Who's from the me best and...
1: person that responded to you ever?
0: Well, um... I will say she didn't respond but she liked my messages and it was that's Jennifer enough. Coolidge. Oh and, that's and good. She, so I like I knew that she read my messages and took the time to double click them to just and it was recent. It was like I don't know. Um, I mean I've made so many friendships with people because luckily you know uh, luckily drag race is a little bit of a phenomenon so it kind of gets me in the door and then I end up making friends with like Natasha Dimitrio who plays Nadia on what we do in shadows that like like she's such a huge drag race fan and i was like just reaching out to her as a fan like love you in the show and then she reaches out back and and next thing i know we're like sexting each other and and that's only (laughs) barely an exaggeration but um uh so I wrote to Jennifer Coolidge for some reason, can't remember what I said, and she she liked the messages, but what I was going to, how this story started is that one day on a whim I wrote to Macaulay Culkin and um, just to say something like, you know, I'm a famous drag, I, I don't think I said that, I don't think like, hello, I'm a famous drag queen, I have more tact than that, but I said something like, you know, I've made my career... Out of drag and um, Party Monster, like, was one of those, like, gateway films that got me started doing drag and performing in the club scene. And that's how my whole, like, life began as a queer person. And um, Instagram, you know, has red receipts. So I know that he s- saw the message but never responded. But it's enough to know that Macaulay Culkin opened it <laughs> in his <laughs> invite. But now, maybe I should name drop you and be like, Excuse me. Um, I don't know your, if that's going to get you very far. No, <laughs> your ex wife's.
1: Your ex wife did a movie with Daniel Francesi. And
0: he was just in my podcast. So please write back, Mukulikullah. <laughs> <laughs> no. You have worked with some really, you know, another thing about Party Monster is there are tons of really big names in that film. But at the time, they were still kind of like indie and. Underground, like Natasha Leone isn't a huge part in that film, but at that point, she had already acted in quite a few indie films, and now she's Natasha Leone, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And not to mention in Mean Girls, you worked with Lindsay Lohan at the Did I just say Lindsay Lohan? Maybe. (laughs) Talk about a lazy drag name. Um... No, there's a a
1: queen in San Francisco, Lindsay Slohan's.
0: That's good. See, yeah. at least, <laughs> at least it's something. Yeah. if I if I were doing it, I'd just literally be Lindsay hand and I'm a hand themed drag queen. Anyway, <laughs> you worked with her at the at the height of her popularity in one of the most iconic films of the 2000s. What was that experience like? And was it like, did it? Did it blow your mind? Did it? uh, I guess we wouldn't have known everything then about Lindsay that we do now and the journey that she would go on after Mean Girls, but.
1: (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of questions in there. I think. uh...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just tell me about Mean Girls, all right? Tell me about Tina Fey. Tell (laughs) me about. (laughs) Well, I think
1: getting that was a big deal for me. I mean, it was intimidating because I was playing gay and I didn't necessarily want to do that. But I did think that it was such a forward-moving role. Like, like, Damien was so chill, and he was so cool, mm-hmm. and he had an arc, and he had the best lines. And, you know, today, stands is probably the most unproblematic character if you look back on how mm-hmm. everyone's aged. I mean, the principal's hitting on the teacher, the, you know, um, everyone's trying to do these horrible revenge tactics. <laughs> like, you know, Damien's just like, hey, everybody, like, like you know, yeah. I'm busy with choir. I can't help you sabotage someone's life. <laughs> you know, like, he's just kind of like being himself. And I like that about it. Um, yeah. As far as Lindsay goes, you know, I think that Lindsay and I get along. We didn't not get along, but mm-hmm. I was 26 when I made Mean Girls, and she was like 15 or 16. Oh, and wow. And she was like, and she was like at the height of her, like, like uh, Lindsay Lohan diary on MTV, like madness, yeah, like yeah, yeah. tabloidy. And I just don't vibe with that energy, period. You know, mm-hmm. and I think Lindsay's over that energy anyway. And so mm-hmm. now, as adults, I think we vibe on a way different spectrum. Like mm-hmm. whereas, like, there's a lot of eye, there was a lot of eye rolls going on. So back wait, then.
0: you you were 26, and she was actually high school age. Yeah, her and Amanda. She looked Seyfried so were mature, mature in that film. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: Um, But we – you know, I've just – you know, I really have worked with a lot and have known and have been friends with a lot of young Hollywood, so to speak, Mm -hmm. that has – that got a bad shake or a bad deal because, you know, the rules were so different for them. Um, Well,
0: and it's – and you think about some of the – I think about some of the things – I witnessed just, you know, my friends in high school going through. Like, that's the age that we make a lot of mistakes and try a lot of things and but, do weird but specifically stuff. specifically
1: and... in pop culture and in Hollywood, that era is, like, the TMZ mm-hmm. at birth of yeah. TMZ. Like, before that, we didn't have, like, cameras standing outside clubs. That was, like, an anomaly. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. it's, now it's just, they're there, always. Or at yeah. the airport, always, you know? And um, at that time, Lindsay... Hillary Duff, the Olsen twins, even Paris and Nicole, they they were like all underage and drinking in clubs and being and the ones that were at the VIP tables mm-hmm. and and underage. Like it was just like it's Hollywood. There was like this whole thing. <laughs> I think like after, especially after Macaulay um, emancipated himself from his family, mm-hmm. that a lot of people were just doing that quietly. Yeah, like a lot of my like teen. Hollywood friends were like, oh, my parents have nothing to do with my finances anymore. I own a house. Um, yeah. I drive, like, a Mercedes. Um, come to my party. Everyone's underage, but everyone has, like, a, <laughs> a 401k. It was just, like, kind of, like, <laughs> this bizarre hands, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, that era was damaging. I mean, I do remember, you know, that's, like, Princess Diana oh, leading into that. The pap- paparazzi really got out of control. I remember one time where Lindsay somebody crashed into her car in order to get the first pictures of the accident.
0: Oh my God.
1: So when you think about that kind of mentality, I didn't want any of that. Like all of the fame that I have is pretty much a byproduct of my art or like, you know, things like this that are from my art and that are fun Mm -hmm. and that are cute. I don't, I I, I just come from the school of like, nobody's going to pay $20 to see me in the movie theater. If they could see me for $5 at the club. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, I never went out, like I never like when I did go out I would do underground things or things where people didn't give a shit, like I don't care who you are kind of things, you know? Like. Yeah. <laughs> and so like I still do that kind of stuff. So it's like I I I like the attention when I'm on stage, but I don't necessarily like it in like a room of five. Do you know? Like I'm not yeah. that person. I don't need to constantly be heard.
0: Yeah. I think I've kind of like I always was a very shy kid and then I was a very boisterous teenager, like around the same time that I came out was when I really started like developing a, a social persona, you know, so that I could feel comfortable. And of course I leaned into, you know, I, I consciously leaned in to the stereotypes of who I should be or who I would be as a young queer person. And luckily through drag, I had somewhere to put that personality because it was not sustainable if I continued to try to be that person in my day-to-day life. And nowadays, yeah. I, nowadays I'm such a hermit, you know, like, I, uh, I barely want to do anything. I go to a strip club for twenty minutes. I tip. I, I tip two dancers, and I'm like, ah, I got my fill at the strip club. I smelled an armpit. I'm. I'm good to go home. Uh, let's talk a little bit about. So, um, you were not out at the time of Mean Girls, and you had your trepidations. Is that largely due to the different world that Hollywood was just twenty years ago, where you know, there were... I mean, nowadays, there's so many out celebrities. But I remember, like, you know, being well, Now it's um, like, are you, are
1: you gay? Let's celebrate
0: that. We're an earring to yeah. the premiere. We have a gay
1: person on the roster. It was not that shit, like, at all. Oh, it no, like- you
0: were... You were well, you were like as a young actor, even just like, you know, in high school as an actor, I remember my high school teachers being like, you know, you're going to need to learn how to neutralize your mannerisms and your speaking voice if you want to have any career in acting. I'm like, well, there's queer roles out there. There's like my first professional acting role was in Rocky Horror. And I was like, I'll just play all the all the queer weird roles that exist and it's like, yeah, those roles exist, but they don't want the actors to actually be those people.
1: Right, and then if you're fat, they don't exist. <laughs> so <Yeah>. it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's really, a, I yeah. mean, I was playing like 82-year-old men, like, at 16. You know, it's like, <laughs> like I was always like the character. I like, always knew, you know, everyone's like, don't worry, it's gonna be hard in the beginning but you'll work till you die, like, kind of thing. Like, yeah. that was like what I was told. I went to Florida School of the Arts, they really embraced me there. I think that's where, like, I kind of curbed my need for attention because like, like in high school, I was like, I'm drama club president. Blah. And then yeah. I got to college and everybody was drama club president. <laughs> like, yeah, like, well, yeah, yeah. I was like, now what are you going to be, you know? And I had to like kind of like figure that out a little bit more. Um, I think that uh, I went to conversion therapy. I put myself into conversion therapy when I was 21.
0: Wow.
1: Because I didn't want to be gay because I didn't know if I was gay or not. I didn't feel like I belonged in like a queer society. I didn't have any gender identity issues. I didn't, like... And the people that I was around did, you know? So I Mm -hmm. felt like, well, that's not fully me. And I couldn't understand. And I loved those people. I wasn't, like, Mm anti-gay. I just was like, if I'm not gay, I need to stop whatever this is that I'm feeling um, and Mm -hmm. fix that. And so through, like, a path through my grandma, through the pastor, through it, I ended up at Exodus that, like, um, pray the gay away place, like, you know? And I just, like... um, once I realized that you can't pray that, that like I wanted to be diagnosed basically as gay or not gay. And when I first got in there, like, you're not gay, don't worry, we have gay clients. And I was like, Oh, thank God. But then like by the end of it, which was like six weeks, I guess, I went to like, you know, three times a week for six mm-hmm. weeks or something. Yeah. The guy was like, When I was telling my wife, and I'm like, Your wife, I'm like, Oh my god. I'm like, I don't know if I'm gay for I'm, I'm for shit sure that you're gay. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> And he was like, well, I used to be gay. And I was like, you can't used to be gay. What are you talking about? Like, when I realized what they were trying to do, you know, he was just like, he broke down and he got mad and he was like, what are you afraid of? And I was like, I don't want to go to hell. And he's like, you could be sucking a dick and the second coming of Christ could happen. He's like, and you're not going to go to hell for that. I'm like, I'm not. And he's like, no. And I'm like, I gotta go. And then I lost my virginity on AOL that night. (laughs) Ah! (laughs)
0: Wait on AOL or thanks to AOL. Thanks
1: to AOL, like I met someone at AOL. But I, was I was like, just... "Did you lose your cyber virginity?" <laughs> no, my actual uh, butt virginity. No, I... but then, like, I actually went to New York and uh-huh. no one knew me. I could be free. I had bully in the can already, mm-hmm. so I didn't. I wasn't worried about anything. So I was you like... were
0: feeling your oats a little bit too. You like? Yes, you I ended up becoming a... a
1: bouncer for like the, my first three years in New York at all these different gay clubs I was a bouncer mm-hmm. at the Dupe I used a fake name because you know bouncer jobs are cash sorry but they are yes. and I used to like I used to work like as Donnie DeFranco
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I worked at the Duplex I worked at all these different bars and then like Donnie um,
0: DeFranco I, know. I just like well, and I was thinking if somebody ever went Danny. That was post-conversion
1: I know, theory. I know, I know. But I felt like if somebody ever went Danny, they'd be like, oh, he's right over there and not like question it uh-huh. or something. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, no,
0: that's very smart.
1: I just didn't want to like, you know, because most people can't say my last name anyway. So, so yeah. I was just like, I always just tell people my last name is DeFranco. I stayed Italian. <laughs> but like, I, <laughs> but, like um, I worked as that for a while. And then it was like when I got Mean Girls, I had to go back in the closet. That's the weird part. Like I felt the freedom and I tasted mm-hmm. the freedom. And my agents and everybody were like, eh, you don't have to say it, you know? Yeah. Can't you just be gay and not say it? Like, no one's really knocking on your door. I wasn't the kind of famous where people were asking those kind of questions at the time. So, you know, now they're all up in my shit. But, like, back then, it was like they didn't really care, you know? Like, I was just doing little character parts and stuff. So, I was like, okay, okay. And I just kept putting it on the back burner until I got Mean Girls and then it's a gay part. And they're telling me just keep it cool if you want to work again. And I was like – Trying to decide, and while I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to handle this, I got an audition for this movie called Sherry Baby um, mm-hmm. with Maggie Gyllenhaal, and the whole point of the movie was that she uh um, ends up having to go to rehab, and she gives her her daughter to her sister in law, and then 12 years later comes back and wants her baby back, and they're like, "This is our baby now," and that's the movie, uh-huh. right? And so, but. The girl who was playing her sister-in-law, Bridget Barkin, is this amazing, talented performer, friend of mine. She's actually one of the backup singers. She's a scissor sister. She's an amazing performance artist. Like, And we had moved to L.A. together. We were so intimate that we were the kind of friends that would make out anyway. <laughs> that yeah. it was like, I was like, oh, my God, I have to audition for this. And I remember the audition said a doughy, blue-collar, big lug of a guy. And I was like, that's <laughs> me. Like, And they wouldn't let me audition. They were like... Listen, we know Daniel. We think he's a terrific actor, but we're looking for a man's man. Oh and, and it was a lesbian casting director. <laughs> and I just uh. still never, like, forget that shit. It was more the gay people in Hollywood, too, that were like, mm, I see you, bitch. Like, no, you know, I have you come yeah. in for something else and then hand me gay sides. Like, and yeah. it just became this thing where I was like, I'm going to lose my whole career. And at the time, you know, my mom was a single mom. My brother and sister were trying to get in. So I was like, I got to help. I got to send money back to the family like this is bigger than me, you mm-hmm. know, and it, it was just scary. It was like so I moved to Los Angeles and I didn't go to one gay club. I never did like, yeah. you know, Um, and until, and then it was like I randomly met a boyfriend and then I just like clung to him for five years, you know, and mm-hmm. we were both like we're roommates. <laughs> he was another actor, <laughs> you know,
0: it's just it's so amazing to me, you know, how long that was the the M.O. of Hollywood and how long that was like just what everyone had to deal with was like, oh, you can be gay, but we have to like put on this facade that like everyone's straight and all the actors are straight because, you know, it was I feel like it was really to appeal to the rest of America You know, like as if Hollywood and Broadway and the whole entertainment industry isn't like crammed full of queer people from... The ground up
1: I will say Broadway is an exception Broadway has always like gay people play straight, yeah like and didn't care because it's always I mean Broadway hangs a friggin window from a string and you're supposed to believe there's a wall there <laughs> you know
0: what I'm like, we like, already are trained to suspend our disbelief before we yeah, go into exactly. the theater <laughs> so it's like
1: I'm, I have no problem with that it was more film it was more tv and that's yeah. not what I had done so I hadn't experienced that pushback at all you know i most people didn't even ask if you were gay or straight to like you know the third week of rehearsals like on a play yeah. like but here it was like we want to know his history let's look up his myspace like it was like trying to figure out what your shit was before they got caught in something you know yeah it, it, it definitely was a different vibe i think we're dealing with that right now with gender issues like it's okay to be trans if you're you know passable and quote unquote conventionally beautiful yeah. and everything else and then if it's not it's like well or if like you know you're somebody who, like, who's non-binary but appears more masculine or appears more feminine. You know, it's like, well, that you make a choice. People don't. Yeah. Don't well, it's really... because
0: so much, uh, yeah, so much of the entertainment industry in film and TV, and even though we're at, you know, the most progressive moment we've ever been at as far as representation, but what you're talking about is, like, it's got to still be comfortable and non-threatening and something that the people assume is easily digestible because they're worried about the most ignorant audience members out there and like if we put a you know it, we can put a trans character into this but she has to be beautiful because we don't want all we don't want to challenge their ideas about gender and sex and um identity and presentation and their ideas of beauty we can't we can't <laughs> challenge them on two different fronts we've got to like right. really pick our battles here and like, and how many
1: overweight trans girls are playing romantic parts, you know? Exactly. Like, I, I, just think, I just think, yeah. like, you know, with this Dave Chappelle special, the, the closer mm-hmm. that just went out, like, everybody's talking about it right now. It's a hot-button topic, which is why I think he chose it because, yeah. you know, I, I saw an article that said he treats punchlines like a dare. And I think, you know, you can take a dare over truth if you want, you know? like. But I really feel like um, that's not going to age well. You know, if we look like yeah. I, I, I think about Eddie Murphy and how many times I watched his specials and how much I, how funny I thought they were and how I would quote, you don't got no ice cream or whatever in the playground, my friends mm-hmm. and how funny that stuff was. And then I remember going, oh, let me revisit this and then watching it yeah. again and seeing how many times he says fag or how many times he talks about AIDS or and, you know, he's since has said that he cringes when he watches his old specials and remembers that stuff. But I didn't even remember that. James. Yeah. like I didn't even like think about that. Like and it's like, but did I? You know, is that one of the things mm-hmm. that contributed? I mean, if I watched that special 50 to 100 times, like, is that one of the things that made me think in the back of my head it wasn't going to be accepted? Like, we have to realize how powerful these words are. And they really, they earworm and like, and they start drilling into your brain, you know? And that's why we're in this place of body positivity, body acceptance, body like, about like, um, uh, you know, LGBTQ awareness and, and, and uh, inclusion, because each little step matters. Absolutely.
0: And that's why it's called conditioning, you know, is because it's all these little things planted in our mind over time. It's all the things that are accepted and passed off as normal. It's all the little like it's the little tiny things that affect you throughout your life that by the time you're an, an adult, they've already like taken hold and they've already, you know, told you how to think and told you how to feel. You know, I've been kind of you know on my own journey of finding little roots for things that I deal with these days like because once I identify oh I'm probably doing this because of this thing that happened to me when I was 12 or this thing that used to happen a lot in high school and I have to like take the moment to say okay so that's not true for me anymore so I don't need to keep holding on to this survival tactic that's not serving me right now. Weird example, but I know it's something that I've talked with a handful of people about is that um, I kind of trained myself to walk with my head down and my eyes looking down at the ground and hunching my shoulders. Because in high school, if I like made eye contact with one of my bullies, it's like if I walked past them and didn't like get their attention, they might like call me a faggot but they're not going to like slam me into a wall. But if I made eye contact with them, that was all it took for them to grab me, you know, grab my shirt and slam me into something just like passing me in the hallway. And it's funny so you say tra- that.
1: It's funny yeah. you say that because I trained myself to look up. Because yeah. <laughs> I was like I was like if I look above everyone and I'm taller than, I'm a little taller than people, but I was like if I keep looking up then maybe I'll give an air of
0: confidence when I really mm-hmm. feel like I want to shrink. Yeah. You know. Um, I it's, I just remember trying to take up as little space as possible and be able to just kind of, like, fade into the background. You know, in my theater classes and when I was, like, you know, acting in the plays after school, of course I was my big flamboyant self, but it was the hallways and the crowded areas where there was a bunch of different people where I tried to train myself to take up as little space as possible. And now I find myself, you know, walking around town in that same kind of position, and then I get home at the end of, like, a errand day and my back is killing me because I've spent the whole day hunched over and like you know um, even though it doesn't like it doesn't send me into a rage or it doesn't make me feel like utter shit it does still like catch my attention every time like someone gives me a weird look or a weird glance because I'm you know, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm me, because <laughs> I've got tinsel sewn into my hair and I'm <laughs>
1: <like> <laughs>
0: wearing cat eyeliner and uh, Doc Martens and walking through the streets of Portland right. looking like a swamp witch. <laughs> I don't
1: blend either. I totally feel what you're saying. Like You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm like, you know, uh, first of all, like, I'm foot taller i'm six four so i'm usually like Mm -hmm. a foot taller than everybody in the club like (laughs) you just seem like i can't relax my face or anything unless i'm hiding in the corner or sitting down because everyone could just see me you know like everywhere i go i understand you know it's interesting we're talking about this because it doesn't stop at just like femininity because i was talking to a uh um an ex of mine who was saying that he has to code switch all the time in the bear community and be like oh yeah like even though he's like he is, I think, a masculine-ish person and like a very tender soul, but he never gets to show that side. He's like an artist, but he, like he has to always be like, yeah, blah, blah, like, and I'm like, yeah. like, like deep in his voice, and I'm like, you really feel the need to do that kind of thing, like you know, like I don't, I, I just, I'm in this point in my life where I don't want to hide any aspect of who I am. Like I feel like it's like if, if I talk about, you know. um, Anything from, like, my side, like, I'll take my shirt off in any environment, whether I'm comfortable mm-hmm. or not, I force myself. And then everyone else gets comfortable with it. It was me all the time, I think, maybe, who might have been uncomfortable with what people had to say about me. But I really couldn't give a shit anymore.
0: Absolutely. I, 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 this segues perfectly into. Because uh, my... I was like, I'm
1: totally derailing this
0: conversation. <laughs> no, no. The segues. Perfectly into the next thing i wanted to talk to you about which was um which is the fact that you know looking at i'm scrolling through your instagram right now and just like you said oh, there's boy. plenty of um pi- <laughs> 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 there's plenty of pictures of you with your shirt off there's plenty of thirst trap photos and because of your presence in the queer community because of um because of you know your iconic status for the roles that you've played um that is advocacy work that is like body positivity activism work you should see my dms unapologetically i'm like a a licensed therapist in the dms like (laughs) honestly
1: i've talked to so many people who are uncomfortable with their body that's the only reason i really do it uh my mom says to me one time she was like do you love the attention when you have all these like hot men saying that they want to sleep with you and that they think you're gorgeous and that they put fire emojis up. I'm like, not really. Like it's nice. I'd lie if I didn't say that it wasn't nice, but if I believe all those people that love me, I've got to believe all the people that hate me. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I take all of it with a grain of salt. I think a reason that I do that is because like, and let me tell you something. When I do a photo shoot and there's like, Twenty pictures. I take the one that I hate the most, and I post that one because I have to push myself <laughs> even further. I have to say yeah. I don't like how I look in this photo, but now I'm going to put it up. And then, and then when people say that I look good, I go okay, like I believe you know what I mean. I'm like people say, how do yeah. you like? I even said it in one of my DMs on my last post. Someone said, how did you become so confident? I say, lie to yourself. <laughs> like <laughs> just literally Think start. So
0: you make it is not like it's not so crazy, you know. Sometimes. Well, <laughs> Whatever it is about you that you don't like, if you say to yourself
1: in the mirror, it's beautiful every day. And then if in front of people you go, I love my love handle. Like maybe it's this little part of me over here. And I, like, oh, I love my – like it ain't called love handles this anyone's grabbing onto them. I'm always saying things to let people know that I know they're there and I like them. And then the next thing you know, people are like, well, you can't fuck with Danny. He loves himself, you know. Yeah. And they start treating you differently. And the way they treat you makes you actually have confidence. <laughs> it yeah. is
0: – yeah, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, and mantras are very powerful things in the human mind. Um, you know, if you want to talk about like, I, I I practice witchcraft myself, but like my main practice of witchcraft is just coming up with mantras and repeating them when I need to hear them, because eventually that's just what your brain, in the same way that conditioning, uh, conditioning affects us 20 years later, mantras and kind of training your brain to feel differently about things. Things that you previously were ashamed of or embarrassed by, you know, we do have more power over how we feel than I, think, than I think we were led to believe, you know? I think we were taught for so long that certain things are natural, certain things are universal, and certain things are just like, you know, unquestioned truths. And here we are now in our adulthood being like, oh, wait a second, like, why, why? like why did i accept that as truth just because someone older or because like a magazine or a tv show said that <laughs> you know right. we're at this place where we're questioning everything and not accepting that anything needs to be considered normal or natural just because that's the way it's always been you know mm-hmm. and um a lot of the a lot of the work to uncondition ourselves as a community as a society is just you know taking ownership of the things that we used to feel ashamed of and well it's funny
1: you say that because my i have a podcast called yash jesus right and (laughs) And, uh, like it's interesting because what it does is just highlights queer perspectives on biblical Mm -hmm. stories and it's just it's weird that they don't do that in the normal christian church like it's like like for like joseph in the technicolor dream coat like in in the history of the bible like 86 ad the translation wasn't a coat it was a ketanet pasim. And a Ketanet pasim has only brought up one other place in the Bible, and that's in Tamar's wedding, and it's a virginal princess dress. So Joseph was wearing a rainbow dress, not a freaking coat. And that's why it, he got beat up, and they ripped it, and they tore it. We always get sold this dumb perspective that they were jealous of the coat. But if they were jealous of the coat, it wouldn't have got poured blood on and ripped up. He got beat up, and Joseph was potentially a genderqueer or trans person of color in the Bible. <laughs> and, like, to not have those kind of perspectives does a disservice to the Bible in itself. I think that, like people just need to like, I found a place that like the same book that brought me to conversion therapy now is telling me gay stories. Yeah. Like the love story between David and Jonathan or these other things, you know, that's interesting to me. I try to go back and and dissect what are the things that made me feel kind, like weird about everything, you know? Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's definitely funny. I mean, I, I'm always trying to find new ways to, to go back and correct.
0: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's uh it's a wonderful point you're making at the way that so many people like to pick and choose from their own doctrines, you know, the things that they consider absolute truth, but they just ignore a lot of the parts that they don't feel like <laughs> upholding.
1: Right. Or a lot of people are just taking things that they're hearing other other people tell them without actually doing yeah. their own research. You know, well... oh. My-
0: you know, yeah. My, <laughs> my my
1: spiritual leader, it's like, well, get in the in find out for yourself what's going on.
0: And also you saying the word research, I love I love the um the idiocy of like how many people throw around the word research these days where research <laughs> used to involve like going to a library and checking out the books on the topic and reading multiple perspectives on the topic. And, and now quote unquote research is consistent of Googling things that already are going to just support the opinion you already have. It has and then a calling completely a different meaning to me. <laughs>
1: like I am that kind of actor. Like I don't care what I'm doing. If I'm doing like a, uh, Silly, like you know, like a fun peaches Christ play. <laughs> like yeah. kind of, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to be doing so much research on whatever it is that my source material is, like my characters come from. Like I love to mm-hmm. add to everything, and I think that's where even you just knowing some of the information. I'm like one of those actors that likes to have fictional conversations that our characters might have had. You know, yeah, like,
0: yeah. I love that. St- I love I, I, that's the part of it that I love. <laughs> There's never any time in actual, you know productions like theater productions sometimes you get a director that will like carve out some time for that kind of exploration work you know but I remember like in high school how much fun I had when you know because you have like two months to rehearse a play and it's it's high school, you know. So the directors yeah. would have us like as your characters improv a dinner, you know, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. a dinner at a restaurant. I'm and, still like that
1: though. Yeah, like I it's love hard to them. find a scene partner that is like that. <laughs> exactly,
0: you know? exactly.
1: I try to make it cool. I go always go. You want to r some l's because that's like something we used to say on, lo- on looking because <laughs> it meant like run lines. You want to r some l's like you know try to make it sound like something of fun. <laughs> like I constantly want to work. I constantly want to work yeah. when I'm working. Um, I like I love finding out what you know I did like a grindhouse horror movie and I started like and they were like oh he's you know schizophrenic I'm like well I started looking into all the different things about that like I can't just go in and like play you know crazy or hear a voice like I've got to know why (laughs) this character might have got that way I maybe create some abuse that maybe led to that like just really think about things I love to lay put layers on things so when it comes to my own self like Mm -hmm. That's how I found conversion therapy. Even I was constantly trying to find an answer, and I went, yeah. I explored the answer. I realized it was bullshit, and I got laid. And I think that, like, <laughs> my, my my point is, you know, l- re- do some research, and if it doesn't work out, at
0: least have an orgasm. At least have an orgasm, and that's always, you know, a, a, that's always an option. Um, I hope you got sel- a segue for self-care orgasm. Self care is <laughs> s- self care is very important. <laughs> Daniel, we are reaching the end, and I have my my compulsory, obligatory questions I must ask you. But once more, I'd like to, you know, just give you my um, my snaps and congratulations and my thank yous for, you know, being an out and proud queer actor who has done work for body positivity. You've um, you mentioned looking. You've done work to destigmatize um, the the whole conversation around knowing your hiv status and what it means to be hiv positive as as a queer person you've done a lot of work for the community and i just want to thank you for i that. appreciate that <laughs> that's a whole nother
1: thing even being negative and doing work for for hiv people think that they have to do things that directly like we we can there's so much to do for the community do you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying like there's so much that is out there like just raising your voice on any topic is is another echo that we need you know so yeah. I encourage like I, people think they have to have money to be a philanthropist. Like you could raise anything. Like you know, yeah. raising eighty five dollars and sending it to somebody makes a difference. Like so, um,
0: and educating yourself on things so that you don't continue to contribute to the problem. I think that's like at the bare minimum these days. All I'm hoping people are doing is examining things in the world. And asking themselves, "Am I contributing to the solution or to the problem?"
1: The hardest thing I had to do, like, was like a talking like a black girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, like, I know that that's inappropriate now, and I let it go. But it was very difficult. I feel like it's very, <laughs> like,
0: well, it was just so. It was just so widely accepted in the queer community, and I mean, like, you're telling me amongst drag queens, yeah, like, it was. Yeah. But that's the thing is if you're willing to do the work and if you're willing to ask yourself the question, um, does this contribute to the the solution or does it contribute to the problem? Exactly. And then making the conscious decision to stop contributing to the problem, um, at the bare minimum, that's something that everyone can do no matter what platform you have or where you are at in life. Just ask yourself, am I contributing to the problem or to the solution? And make the decision of what you want to contribute to. I do have to um I Let's do see the questions. To, yeah. I'm gonna do our hard left turn and my first question for you is who is your celebrity crush today?
1: Um I, you know, I don't really think I'm ever gonna date another actor, <laughs> like ever. <laughs>
0: like, but um, like, we're not yeah. necessarily talking about dating.
1: We're just talking about. <laughs> I'll crushes. tell
0: you, I, I I bring that bring this up a lot, so the listeners might be sick of hearing about it. But when I asked Monet this question, she was so um, explicit about the things that she wanted to do to Ryan Reynolds that <laughs> I had to. I actually rethought. Having this question be one of the out <laughs> questions.
1: Do you know? Like, I do not mean any shade, or like, I don't want to break up any marriages. You know, it's yeah. simply like an an art crush, and mm-hmm. like, but I think that Marco Monroe, the guy who's like the head of the house at Avalon, like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's like to me the cutest thing in the entire world. Like, I think he's adorable. I love his art. I love what he does. Like, I love his friends. Like, I'm just like. If I could go, you know, like uh dip myself into anywhere, it would be um, you know, in his sherry.
0: Well, sh- shout out to Marco Monroe and the whole house of Avalon. Hey, no. house of Avalon. Hi, girls. <laughs> hey My celebrity I crush have crushes today, on them all, the whole house. <laughs> they they're a very attractive family. Yeah. Uh <laughs> My celebrity crush today is Freddie Carter. Um, he plays a role in the Netflix series Shadow and Bone, which I binged all in like one afternoon because I love anything about magic and I love anything steampunky and antiquated. And he plays this um, this lizardy looking like ne'er do well uh, speakeasy club owner, and he's nice. super hot. Um, <laughs> so Freddie Carter, if you're listening. My DMs are open for you. It's how I make all my friends. Um, my next question for you, um, which Oh my, I feel feels... like we're braiding each other's hair and writing in diaries. <laughs> this feels like a um, a loaded question after the conversations we've had today. Um, but tell me your thoughts. Do you consider yourself spiritual?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't like the word religious. I, you know, I- um, Ditto that. But, but, I do, <laughs> but I do pray. I do believe in like the Judeo- Christian God. um, But I do believe that God is everything and everyone. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that the other religions, gods are probably the same God. Like I'm not like, you know, mine's my way's the way, you know, I'm not like one of those kind of people, but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I have Yash Jesus.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yash Jesus. Um, Yeah. You know, there's a quote that I don't, I don't think it's a quote. It's just a mantra. It's a mantra that has been in my life for a couple months now. And it's been my answer to many, many things. It's two things can be true. <laughs>
1: I would consider myself enlightened. I would.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a,
1: a, a crazy lady angel. I don't know. Crazy lady. Like I was in New Orleans uh, filming. I spit in your grave. And like we were going, it was like two groups of us and we were going to the cars in, at a Walmart. And this lady was in the parking lot. And we were in Shreveport, Louisiana. So we we're in the mm-hmm. and this lady was in the parking lot and she was like, wah, wah, wah. I couldn't hear her. But my friend was like, Yeah, 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 yeah. And he got in the car and it made me crack up the way he said he said it. So mm-hmm. when she came sort of near me, I went, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mimicked his, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, You know what I'm talking about? And I'm like, No, I don't. And she's like, I'm talking about God. And I'm like, Yes, I do. Cause I always said to myself, <laughs> I would never like deny God, right? Yeah. So like she goes, God's like a new car. And I'm like, You lost me again. <laughs> she's like, No. <laughs> She's like, did you ever get a new car? She's like, and you didn't ever see it before. But once you got the car, then you're like, oh, there it is in red. Or there it is over there, the same car. That's the older model. Like, it was always there, but you weren't enlightened to it. And I think that when you get spiritually connected, all of a sudden, the world starts to show, like, you know, God starts to show himself. And I don't mean him as in a male. I mean him as in, like, the capital H specific gender just related to God, which also I discovered. But, um, (laughs) like, yeah, like, you know, uh, him or her, uh, you know, they're everywhere.
0: Yeah. Once once it's like um once you realize you're in the matrix, you see glitches everywhere, huh? That's it. <laughs> My final question for you is what is your go-to karaoke song? Bills, Bills, Bills. Bills, Bills, Bills. By Dustin's I... Child. I okay. love it. Oh, At you first can't pay we started, my automobiles. Cool. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's my me favorite line. I ain't ever
1: been, but they now. say like,
0: automobiles. Yeah. <laughs> like automobiles, my automobiles and bills. Also,
1: one of my favorite things is Bugaboo when she goes, uh, You make me want to uh, tell MCI to make my email stop or something. <laughs> like." Tell She's like, MCI. She drops MCI in there, <laughs> which is like that old like phone network. Um,
0: What a great. What a great go-to karaoke song. Thank you. Daniel, it has been so lovely chatting with you today. Where can my listeners follow you on social media?
1: You can find me at Instagram, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, BlackPeopleMeet.com, J-Date, Farmers Only, Christian Mingle, and Venmo at What's Up,
0: Danny. What's up, Danny? So what is up, Danny? That's what's Too late. up. Too It's the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again for being my guest today. It was lovely chatting with you. And thank you for your service to the queer community at large.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm obsessed with you. I hope we get to work together one day
0: soon. Oh, yeah. Let's let's manifest that next. That's my next mantra. mantra.
1: <laughs> Deal. <laughs>
0: and, and thank you all so much for listening to Hi, Jinx, here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx. Forever! To listen to Hi Jinx ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com/slash-plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social, and rate and review Hi Jinx five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Big Dipper. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.